Welcome back, everybody, to Classroom 33 Podcast. I'm Pastor Dustin here with Steve Prudian, and uh, <laughs> we're already talking and laughing here. This is uh, this is going to be a week. This is going to be a show. Um, apologize that we haven't been here for a couple weeks. Uh, I was ill, and Steve was ill, and... Uh, kids were ill. And kids were ill. Uh, Tis the season to be fluish, I think. Um... But anyways, uh, we've missed you over the last couple of weeks, and glad that uh, you come back to listen. And uh, so we're on part two, talking about the throne of God. And uh, From Paul's perspective today. Yeah, today we're talking about Paul's perspective. And, you know, Steve, you were just saying that this series really is all about experiencing God. Well, that's... that. That's Lockerbie's okay. book. This is really coming to the throne of God. Right. And the reason you need to understand the throne of God and coming to the throne of God is because you have to really understand who it is you're praying to. Right. Okay. And, um, and what he looks like, where he's at. Mm-hmm. And that you're not just praying into thin air. But you also, right. but you also have to know how to enter the throne of God. Not that He won't hear your prayers outside of the throne, right? Except by you being present to the throne, your prayers take on a whole different dynamic. Mm-hmm. They very much do. So really, this is this is um, almost like a preamble to the fact that this winter I'll be teaching about approaching the throne of God or coming to the throne of God. You could say that its subtitle is, is to teach me to pray. Right. Because most people pray, but they don't know if they're really praying correctly. Oh, by the way, God is kind of a God who has a sense of humor. Yes, he does. And he will hear the, the most shallowest prayer, even if it's one world called help. Yep. He will hear that. Yes, he will. And so the thing is, is, is it's not about being eloquent in prayer. It's about being powerful in prayer. Right. Uh, a powerful, ugly prayer is still a powerful prayer. That's that right. Even if, uh, even if you don't know what you're saying, even if you don't know how to say it. Um, there was a movie a while back... Um, called The Apostle. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's not a great theological movie. I'm just going put to it, put it that way. It's not, it's not a great theological movie. Um, but because the main character is a person of faith, I mean, it falls into that Christian movie category. And it was um, Robert Duvall, I believe, was the actor. Um, and he, he goes through a crisis of faith. And it's self-imposed i mean not a anyways at this one point in the movie he is praying he's in you know i think he's at his mom's house back in his childhood home and he's upstairs and he's praying and he's talking to god and he's being a little aggressive about it and you know, he's pacing around the room, he's shaking his fist, he's calling out to God, crying out to God, and 
all other things aside, that's a guy who knows how to pray. It was powerful. It was emotional. It was from the heart. It wasn't calculated. It, he wasn't thinking about the words that he was using. He was just pouring his heart out to God. And it's, it's a pretty powerful scene in this movie. Um, so you're, I had that thought come to mind when you're talking about it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be pretty. We spend, I'm, I'm going to blame the school system. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and do that. I think our, we have been trained that, um, you know, through the writing of papers and everything has to be grammatically correct and it has to be written in a certain way. You know, I went through school, you know, I got a master's degree and I did not get a great grade. You know, the first paper I wrote every semester for that teacher didn't get me the best grade in class because I was learning how to write to that teacher. And we get that same kind of mentality. This is where I'm blaming the school system because we get that kind of mentality when we're praying. I have to pray, you know, what I'm saying in my prayer is being graded and I need to do a work. If I want my prayer to be answered, my prayer has to has to get an A. No. I will first of all, the only F you can get on prayer is not praying. And I know of even in my own life, I know I know of a lot of prayers that would have been graded a D and I got answered. So we have to figure out a way to put this mentality aside and understand kind of what you're talking about with this throne room idea is that it's being in the presence of God that matters, not really what we say. Um, and I'm, I'm going to use, because we talk about the throne room and we talk about kingdom and we talk about that a lot, um, I've actually throughout my life been fascinated by the feudal era and understanding, you know, what... The system of lords. Uh, lords and knights and sires and, you know, all the different classes of people down to the peasant and the serf. And the reality is, if you're asking the king for something, but you're standing out in a field on the edge of the kingdom... That's not going to get answered. If you're standing outside the castle walls asking the king, it's not going to get answered. If you're inside the walls, it's still not going to get answered. You have to go up to the castle. You've got to walk through the doors. And you have to enter the throne room to be considered, to be heard and to be considered. Now... That analogy does break down because God can hear us anywhere, anytime. But to go to what you had mentioned briefly, 
um, before we started recording that God's always there. He's not hiding from us. We're hiding from him. So we want to, we want to have, I have, I have a tendency, I want God to come to me and answer my prayer. I don't want to go to him to have him answer my prayer. I want him to come to me to answer it. And that's backwards. You became Lord Almighty, and he became the servant. <laughs> that's, it's humanity. We fall into that pit. We fall into that trap. It's easy to do. And yes, that is something that I battle with. You were talking about the fact of um, the protocols. It's yes. really, it's a protocol. Sure. But what's interesting is, 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 is that, remember the expression in the Bible that says, um, man looks upon the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. Yep. The outward appearance of man is a man feels like he needs to come in polished. Oh, absolutely. Before God, for God to be able to honor his prayer. But the reality is, is that Man has no polish in himself other than the polish of Jesus Christ. Right. Now, the other thing is, is, is that I don't know any man who can speak God-ease. <laughs> however, True. however, the Holy Spirit can take any man's tongue, his language, his thoughts, as confused as they are sometimes. Mm-hmm. And speak God ease unto the throne of God. Right. So the thing is, 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 is that when Jesus said, okay, he was sending the comforter. Yes. He was also saying that he was sending the guide. Yes. And he was also sending the one who would speak on our behalf. Yes. So subsequently, no matter how we pray, the Holy Spirit will make it right. Yes. And I count on the Holy Spirit to do that. Now, the thing that I'm somewhat remissant of are people who rely upon prayer books. They rely upon what other people wrote, and they make them their prayers. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, degrade or malign anyone. However, right. however, there was a person who married into my family who was a certain faith. Okay. And that particular person had a set of beads. And that person would take the set of beads, and based upon the day that that bead represented, mm -hmm. would read the prayer out of the prayer book. Right. And I, yeah. didn't, and I didn't understand yeah. that, but then... If, as, as I went along, I understood that this was the way of that particular faith only because that particular faith didn't think that most people would have a prayer that would be worthy enough to be said. Right. And there's, you know, in in church liturgy, I think it I think we work on the extremes in that regard. Um, and 
I will, I will maybe rebut a little bit on the dependence and prayer books. Um, because it really depends. I don't have an issue with the books. The issue would come more from, um, I don't want to say a dependence on them, but a heartless reading of them. Because they're just words. I can, again, I'm going to talk about me. I'm going to talk about my shortcomings apparently a lot today. That's just where we are. Um, because I can pray the Lord's Prayer and I can have it be kind of cold and practiced and wrote. You mean, and, a vain, you mean a vain repetition? I, it can be. That's exactly what I was looking for, actually. <laughs> I couldn't come up with the words. Thank you. Um, oh, seriously, thank you. Um, it can be a vain repetition. But I can have other times where I go to the Lord's Prayer and just through the words that Jesus gave us to pray and just pour my heart out using the same words. And so... In that, I don't have an issue with prayer books, but I think we have to just remember to keep our heart in it. Not just our eyes and our mind, but I think we have to keep our heart in it. Um, now, I'm going to go back to what I said about the extremes, because I grew up in one extreme and now live in the other extreme when it comes to churches teaching people how to pray. I grew up in the Lutheran church and every prayer on Sunday morning was printed in a book and it was all read together or read for us. Either way, every word is printed in the book and that grows the dependency on the book and doesn't teach me how to pray from my heart. Now, like I said about the Lord's Prayer, there are still people in that church that read those words on Sunday morning and through those words are pouring their heart out to God. And that's, I think that's a beautiful, beautiful form of worship. And not a whole lot, not really a whole lot different than singing worship songs. You know, because sometimes when you're singing the worship song, you're just singing the words that are on the screen. And sometimes the music and the words, they cause you to pour your heart out to God. They just do. Um, but now, on this other extreme, this other liturgical extreme, we don't have any printed prayers. And... Um, you know, when, when I pray before worship on Sunday morning, I'm praying directly from my heart. I don't have any place to come from. I don't have it written down. I don't have it practiced. I do it week after week. So there happened there, there becomes a, a comfort level and a, it's called being accustomed. Right. So, so there is a custom that's kind of happening there with that, you know, I, I pray for similar things every week and whatever. Um, 
and when Rob prays, you know, either at the beginning or at end of his message, you know, that's something that he's come up with. Now, whether he's praying off the cuff, which I think he is, um, I don't think he's, you know, writing it down and reading a pre-written prayer. But even if he was, he's still praying it out of his own heart and his own words, even if it's written down beforehand. Do you know what they call that kind of prayer? What's that? That's called a present tense prayer. Okay. It's what you say with your heart, what's on your heart, right? with your mouth at that particular moment. And that's right. present tense prayer. But my, my thought on that and kind of where I'm going on that is neither really does a great job of teaching people how to pray. Because if the only people that you're hearing pray on Sunday morning are the pastors who are experienced in praying... Somewhat. 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 <laughs> right? We're accustomed to how we pray. Mm -hmm. Right? However you want to take that, I pray the way I pray because that's the way I've learned how to pray. That's who you are. Right. That's who God has made you to be. Right. And if you pray differently, God will say, who is that person? Right. And then you have the other extreme that has you rely on a book, but mm -hmm. neither of them does a good job of saying, okay, and this, you and I have been talking about this for a couple months. We've been talking a lot about prayer and saying, okay, these are the check boxes. You know, you want to, you want to kind of tick these boxes as you go through prayer, but it's your words and it's your heart and nobody's grading it. Nobody's watching over your shoulder and, you know, nobody's critiquing it. And so we don't, I'm glad we're talking about this, I think is really what I'm getting to. I'm glad, I'm glad we're addressing this because neither extreme does a good job of teaching people how to get on their knees and pour their heart out to God on a regular basis, on a, you know, on a, on a daily morning routine. Um, and I don't know of any particular denomination that does really fall in the middle. Who's responsible for the ownership of prayer? It's a good question. It's a really good question. First of all, you have to define what the word ownership means. Right. I've come to a conclusion. Okay. I can make a request. Right. I can say a praise. Yep. I could be in a state of thankfulness. Right. However, I can't answer my own prayer. So therefore, I give the ownership of what I can't do myself unto the one who can do it. Right. So I give my prayer literally permission to God to deal with that prayer. Now, once I've given that request up to God, I've relinquished my holding of it, my possession of it. Right. Because now it's his possession. Right. So, but subsequently, I think all of us in, in some sense want to still have a string attached. We still want to 
be holding on to it in some way. I think yep. what, I think what we want to do is we want to have a string so we can ring God's bell. <laughs> Say, hey, remember my request? Mm -hmm. Well, the fact is, is that he doesn't forget anything, so how could he not remember your request? Right. But the thing is, is he speaks the whole picture. You know, I was thinking about, um, you're talking about prayer, and did you know that um, God specifically puts in um, prayers of failure in the Word of God? Yep. And the thing is, is, is that the most often quoted prayers of failure comes from a person that God loves the most, mm -hmm. King David. Yep. Okay. But King David didn't pull any punches. No. Okay. When he told God that he was upset, he told God he was upset. When he told God he wanted to take revenge on people, he would tell God he wanted to take revenge on people. But right. David would take it to the God in prayer. He would, yes. Oftentimes, we feel that um, we don't need God as long as we can manage it. <clears throat> right. Because when we can't manage it, we basically throw the hot potato over to God, and we say, <laughs> we say catch this one. <laughs> yeah. Here, God, catch. Right. Mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like it's almost like a, a comical skit. And so God would say, um, another fine mess you got me into. Yeah. Because <laughs> oftentimes uh, in our humanness, mm -hmm. we do create messes. We do. And you know what? I'm glad that God has a sense of humor. I am too. And I'm glad that God loves us unconditionally. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that he, um, he doesn't um, hold against us the fact that we don't come in the right form. But the fact is, is that we come. Yes. Yeah, and that's... That kind of goes along with my analogy of the kingdom, you know, a feudal era kingdom. It, you know, a benevolent, a truly benevolent king wants to help his people, but if you don't come to him, he can't. Oftentimes, we f feel that we're unworthy mm -hmm. to approach the throne of God, and. Um, if I have to give you a picture, it's like um, um, being summoned by God, but you don't have a decent suit of clothes to put on. Right. And you say, well, I can't go see God today because all I got is these rags. But the funny thing is, is, is that we don't realize that God has what's called a changing room. Mm -hmm. Before you enter the throne of God, he puts on a coat of righteousness over your clothes. And he sees you in right standing before him. He dresses you in mm -hmm. the attire of the throne. Yep. Well, there's a, there's a parable, extra biblical story, mm -hmm. um, about a king who is, I don't know, looking for a successor or a suitor for his daughter or something along those lines and invites um, anybody who would be interested in the position to, you know, Come, come and be seen, right? And so he's got everybody there, and everybody is given a seed. And they are told, 
plant this seed, water it, care for it, come back in a year, and you know whoever has taken the best care of this plant um, will will get the job. And so, um, the person in the story, you know, the the primary person in the story um, is the young kid, you know, young boy who wants this and, you know, gets gets a pot and some soil and plants it and waters it and sunlight and water and sunlight and takes great care of it and nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. It's not growing. It's not doing anything. There's no buds. There's nothing. Um, you know, he, he has to pull weeds out of the pot, you know, clover starts to grow or whatever, you know, and he's got to take care of that. And at the end of it, he has, he's got nothing and he's panicked. He's freaking out because he has done everything right, but nothing has grown. And so, you know, with dignity, but shame at the same point. He takes his not grown seed and pot to the castle on the subscribed day. And you walk in and there's all these different plants and they're, they're tall and they're colorful and they're beautiful and all this and that and the other thing. And uh, the king sees him and calls him forward, asks him what happened. Well, I planted the seed and it didn't grow. I watered it. I gave it sunlight. I did all this. It didn't grow. And everyone else is sent away. And then the king reveals the secret. All the seeds that were handed out had been boiled. They were all dead. He was the only honest one. He came honestly to the throne room. He came honestly with exactly what he had. He with might his have, failure. He came, with his he came, failure. He came as a failure. He came, as ashamed as he was of the failure, he came to the king honestly with that failure. And he was the one who ended up um, winning whatever the, you know, he, he was the one that won favor by being honest in his failure. God knows. Oh, he sure does. The outcome right from the beginning. Yep. And we don't call him the Alpha and the Omega for no reason at all. Right. That's uh, Psalm 139, wasn't it? I believe so. Yep. The God who knows... The beginning from the end. So where is the beginning? It's at the end. The beginning. <laughs> well, the beginning is no closer to the end than the end is, or right. no further away from the end than the end is, because eternity is eternity. It has neither. But it says that God sees all and he knows all. Yep. Does that take in time? All is still all. Mm -hmm. All is still all. Should I tell the story about my devotions this yes. morning? Yes, yes. Tell the story about your devotions. This is, I love this. Well, normally I have a routine for devotions. But today I, um, I got um, sidetracked. 
And I saw a periodical sitting on a table that looked interesting that I hadn't read. And I knew who the author was, and he usually is pretty sound. So I figured, okay, this would be, this, this, this would be acceptable. Well, I have to preface this. Sometimes I forget that um, God says that he's a jealous God. Yes. Okay. And I figured this, okay. well, th this would, this would, um, this would be under uh, a justifiable allowance. <laughs> <laughs> so I read this article, and it, it, I got done with the article, and all of a sudden I had this. Um, if for those of you who don't know, God will speak to you in a wee small voice. Yep. Or he'll basically uh, send the message through the Holy Spirit, which would um, start. Um, um, talking to you in a realm that you would not talk to yourself. Yep. And so uh, a question came up, and the question came up is, what are you doing? So I'm reading this article. Instead of talking to me? Well, I'll get around to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you read that article instead of talking to me? I says, well, I says, he's a reputable source, and... He usually has something pretty good to say. He says, so he says, you rather accept an opinion about me versus hearing it directly from me. Mm -hmm. I said, no, no, mm -hmm. not exactly like that. I said, um, I says, but um, I says, I understand. I says that I didn't put you first. And he says, mm -hmm. that's right. I just wanted to give you a reminder who comes first. I said, well, okay, okay, I don't think this, this hurt too much. And he says, but he says, the problem is, is he says, if you're drawing upon what that opinion is, as good as it may be, he says that it takes time away from me. Mm -hmm. And he says, and then he says, because your, your mind and heart is not open, it's not an empty page, it's not an empty slate, he says, now I have to wipe that clean so we can begin. Mm -hmm. And I said, mm, when you start talking like that, I says, I'm almost afraid to figure out what's on your mind today. And he says, well, he says, I'm going to change your day up a little bit. Okay. And he didn't tell me exactly what was going to happen, okay? And he says, and I'm going to require that you do some things that you wouldn't necessarily voluntarily do to do other than the fact that you're going to know that I'm behind it. And it happened. Mm -hmm. And it happened, and I did what I was supposed to do. And I gave up what I wasn't supposed to do. Mm -hmm. I gave up a free lunch. <laughs> really? Yep, gave up a free lunch. Wow. Yep. But... Um, God ordains our footsteps in our way, and um, I shouldn't have to worry about a lunch. Right. Right. Sometimes I get a little cocky. I don't know about you, Dustin, but sometimes I get a little cocky with God, and I kind of like, I kind of like test him. But the reality is, mm -hmm. is the joke is on me. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the funny thing is, is, is that I've never had God come back and basically take a whack at me because I've used a little bit of side humor with him. <laughs> you know, because I think that he's, um, 
his mind and his ways we don't understand, but I do know that he's a big, big God who can take even a disgruntled remark. Yep, right. he sure can. Right, because it's really out of those disgruntled remarks that God opens up our heart even further. Right. It's just an indicator. Yeah, it it is, and we need to be way better at those two, but... If we're going to get back to Mr. Paul here... Yeah, let's get back to Paul. I found it interesting. Or I okay. get to Paul. I found it interesting. You know, we've talked about people who've had um, um, visions of God and visions of God's throne. Yep. And it seems like, which is kind of interesting, we see it in Daniel. Yep. We see it in Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. We see it in the Apostle John. Right. Now we're seeing it with Paul. But the question is, is what do all four of these human beings, these men, have in common with each other? The prophets? Yeah, no, well, yeah, you could say they're prophets, and apostles still considered a prophet. But the, but the one major thing that they all have in common, even though some of them lived way before John and Paul, right, is that they were all men of prayer. Yes, okay. And, and in every case, it was really in their time of prayer that they met the Lord that they met God. Sometimes mm-hmm. God came to them. Sometimes they went to him, depending upon how God was going to speak to them. Right. In this particular case with Paul, Paul says, I don't know what happened. <laughs> right. He says, I don't know if I went there. He says, or, um, or, um, or something else was there. He says, but uh, he says, I'm just telling you. I don't know if it was physical. I don't know if it was spiritual. He says, but here's the spiritual lesson. Mm-hmm. And would you like to read that, Dustin? It's in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 4. All right. So Paul's talking about visions and revelations mm-hmm. of the Lord. Um, he says, I know a person... In Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Um, Such a person was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told that no mortal is permitted to repeat. The great mystery. The great mystery. Someone heard it. Yep. And many people assumed that it was Paul himself, that he's speaking but not identifying himself. It's possible. Because Paul doesn't want to have to tell. Because he can't tell. Right. His lips have been sealed. Do you recall a time that... Daniel was pretty much stopped 
from saying anymore? Mm -hmm. That's right. Daniel saw more. He saw a future that he couldn't talk about. Yep. That somebody else would talk about. Right. And uh, there was words on a scroll that were written that John was able to read. Right. But then he had to eat the scroll. That's right. And it was bitter. That's all mm -hmm. we know about that. But Ezekiel's scroll that he ate was sweet. <laughs> no, yep. it's never done two it's, times. It's, the not, same it's not the same scroll, <laughs> I tell you that much. Right. They did not eat the same scroll. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I was thinking about um, Balaam when he was hired to curse the Israelites. He was only allowed to speak blessings. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, there are. It's entirely possible that Paul was not able to, that it was him, and he just wasn't able to say that. He's not allowed to say He's that. He's not allowed to say that. Right. It could, but it could actually be another person. Um, Do you ever just, wonder about the great mystery? That's part of the great mystery. I don't. Yeah, and when John writes, he's revealing more of part of that great mystery. Right. And you know the reality is? What's that? We're players. We're characters in that great mystery. Yes, we are. And someday that mystery will be revealed. Mm -hmm. But it will be revealed in the land that it's meant to be revealed in mm -hmm. when God's children are all at home. Right. Then it will be revealed. However, let's say you had a dream or a vision or an experience like Paul had. What would be your reaction? Not knowing, not knowing whether it was in body or in spirit. That, I cannot imagine the confusion that goes along with that. And just how, I would have a hard time just wrapping my head around that part of it. Okay, this thing happened. Did was I? Was were you? Was was I actually in, or was that just a vision? Did that happen in my head, or did that happen happen? And that, I would struggle with that. I would struggle greatly with that. And the, just the grandeur of it. When did this happen before to Paul? Well, Paul was knocked off of his horse by light. Uh-huh. And he spent three days without sight. He had to spend three days. He spent three days fasting. But who did he see? He saw Jesus. But he had no sight. Well, he he saw Jesus quite clearly. And what did he hear? Uh, why are you persecuting him? He heard the voice of God. Yep. So, so does it seem uncommon or strange that Paul would be talking about a second, a second time? He might be talking about that time. There might be more to that encounter on the Damascus Road than is recorded in Scripture. We don't know. That's because if if that's this, which. I think lines up okay time-wise with what I know about the writing of Corinthians and the conversion of Paul. 
14 years could make sense mm-hmm. for that. Um, it doesn't make sense for it to be John's revelation. No. Because... Totally different. Because that would have been as many as 30 years after Later. this. Yeah, 35 so, years. Yeah, so... So, yeah, there's there's definitely some questions that come along with that. It could very well be the Damascus Road experience, and he's only able to share what is recorded in Scripture. That's right. That's right. The thing is, is, is that... Can this happen to you or me today? Absolutely, it can. What's our reaction? Have you prepared for a reaction? I haven't. Think about it. Um, well, like I already said, just not knowing, I would... I'm an incredibly logical person most of the time, and I would struggle. I would struggle to believe that it just happened. I would struggle to accept it. I think. Now, look at what happened to Paul after his encounter with Christ on Damascus Road, and look what happened to John when Jesus came to visit him on the island of Patmos and took him to heaven and took him to the future and showed him what happens and in the end. Um, I think Paul was a pretty logical person. If I, he was a lawyer, he had to be a logical person. Right. I I think he was, well, and we see it with Mars Hill. He's incredibly mm-hmm. intelligent. And so I, I very much can kind of put myself into his place. Um, in did, that, re- did, in that he, regard. But he didn't question even for a second. He had a double title. Did you know that? No. Yeah. I guess I didn't. Paul had a double title. Okay. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Okay. Which meant he was Dr. Pharisee. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when I, I do very much um, relate to Paul in a lot of the ways, with what he writes and how he writes and um, his story, and especially in the in that logical, intelligent side of it, because I think there's a there's a relationship there. There's a so I relate to that. Um, he's what's called he's what's called an instructional preacher, right? Because most of his work is actually disciplined, right? But I think about how would I react to that. And right now, I think that I would struggle to believe or accept it. You would be just like him. And you'd be just like John. Yep. You'd be struck dumb. I would be. Okay, you'd be basically just in awe, okay, of the presence that you were taken to. Mm -hmm. And it would leave you virtually speechless. And at that point in time, with you being speechless... God can really speak to your heart through his heart. Right. Absolutely. So the reality is, is is that this could happen any one of our lives Mm -hmm. at any time that God deems so. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I don't think that my reactions would be much different than anyone else that God reveals himself to. It's mm -hmm. interesting that whenever God usually sends an angel, what does an angel usually have to say? Stand up. Don't, don't, be, don't, don't be, be afraid. Don't be afraid. They, they say They say two things. They say, don't be afraid. Right. And then they say, stand up. Don't worship me. That's wrong. And why do you think they say that? Because of because, the magnificence. Right. The sheer magnificence, the sheer, sheer glory that mm -hmm. even an angel is just emitting from being in the presence of God. Right. Okay. And that is just what you call them, um, or like a reflective glory. Yes. But when you stand in the presence of God, there's nothing reflective there. Right. That okay. is pure emission. That's blazing glory. <laughs> okay. So I think that um, that oftentimes when we go to prayer, we need to go to prayer to see the blazing glory of God. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you a little story. Okay. okay. It's theologically not proven. Fair enough. But I will tell you the story because it lends some thought to it. Okay. We know that one of the pictures, the ones that primarily the Apostle John talks about, and we also know that when Isaiah, he has a similar picture. Right. And it talks about the heavenly host, okay, saying, holy, holy, holy. Yes. And most of the time, we think that they're just singing a song because in Revelation, it is a song. In Isaiah, it's not a song. It's a statement. Right. So the question is, is why do they keep repeating that word in both cases? Why do they keep repeating that word in both cases? And three times. And three times. Well, think about this possibility. Okay. Who is in control of everything? Ultimately, everything. God. Who is controller everywhere? God. And who is controller everyone? God. So, the holy is actually an acclamation of what God is doing. And so what happens is, is I want you to picture this in the throne. Okay. An angel just shows up. And the angel comes and he stands before he says, God, he says, the mission you set me for on was a success. All right. Okay. That person is doing your will, what you set me for. And all of a sudden, all the angels go, holy, holy, holy. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this goes on continuously because who are, who are the angels? They are the servants mm -hmm. and the messengers of God. Okay. Right. People think that all they're doing is just standing in one place. But based upon the scriptures we have, they're not standing in one place. They're constantly on the move. Right. Doing God's work as his servants. Mm -hmm. But you know what? They're reporting back to God. They're taking back the results of the mission that they were sent on. Mm -hmm. So now, the, think about if you get to go before the throne of God and you get to witness, okay, What's really happening, the handiwork of God, mm -hmm. 
with peoples and nations and planets and stars and all the things that we can't even imagine. You're going to be out of your mind. Right. Okay? And when you're out of your mind, what do you do? You become speechless. Yes. You know, the funniest thing is, is, is that do we think about Jesus? Do we think about Jesus? We look at the throne of God, God the Father. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is who is our Savior? Jesus. Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, do we look at Jesus? We should. Even the Father says we should look at Jesus. Because mm-hmm. whose prayer does God honor? Christ's. He honors his son's request. Yep. So the reality is, is is that we should never forget the fact of the sacrifice of what Jesus did for us and that he's our high priest and he's our advocate before his father. And sometimes we forget that. Mm-hmm. And Jesus being who Jesus is, he doesn't show any displeasure until we learn to the fact that we're neglecting our Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. But he still remains our Lord and Savior. Yes, he does. Well, let's take a look. Let's take a look at Second Corinthians five. Okay. Seven and eight. Because this is kind of like, you know, the whole reason we are who we are, and we'll be what we'll be. Okay. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Does that make any sense? Think about that statement. If you were a sane, rational person, and somebody made that statement to you, would you be able to make any sense out of that? Maybe. But where's the value? Where is the value in that statement? Well, if we go back, I'm going to include verse 6. Okay. And he says, we are, so we are always confident, even know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And I think that's, that's kind of the hinge point on mm-hmm. this verse, is that we have to always, that's, that's our, com- Jesus is the reason for our hope. He's mm-hmm. the reason for our everything. Mm-hmm. Everything that is good is only given to us because of and through Jesus. And so even though we are here living in this broken world and we're away from him, we have to be confident because we walk by faith and not by sight. That goes back to what you were talking about that, um, you know, God judges the heart, not mm-hmm. the outward appearance. You know, when Samuel is looking at uh, the sons of Jesse. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because we walk by faith, it's our heart that guides us, mm-hmm. rather the spirit that lives inside of us that should mm-hmm. be guiding us, and not our eyes, not our brains, not our logic, none of that. It should be the spirit that lives inside of us. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And home. how true is that? How- and home is the value. And home is be- the value. Being with the Lord, home is the value. But right. can, can, we, can be, we still be with the Lord and not be home? No. No. Can we still be with the Lord? Does the Lord reside inside you? Maybe I misunderstand the question. The um, Lord does reside in each one of us, so we are with the Lord. Right. But we're not at his home. Right. But you know what's interesting? What's that? He's at home with us. Yep. He's living in our house instead of us living in his house. How clean is your house? Yeah, it could use a tidy. Um, all of our skin. <laughs> <laughs> I just be honest. Um, they could certainly use a tidy. I could do a lot better. Um, this last, this last comment is just sticking with me right now. It's an invitation. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I have, I have had people question this, and I've heard people question this. What are they questioning? It, well, question. I sh- I'm being a little bit unclear. I'll try. I'll try to explain it better. Um, so I have heard non-Christians throw this argument at Christians. If heaven, if heaven is so good, why don't you just kill yourself and go there? Step in front of a bus and go to heaven. If heaven is so good, why? Are- and Paul says that. And all of us believe it. All of us agree with it. Is heaven better than this temporal existence on this earth? This earth is dying. Absolutely heaven is better. Heaven is way better. The new creation is going to be even better than that. We have better in front of us. But we're putting up with now now. And we have to have that confidence. There is a purpose for us being here. It's called faithfulness. It is called faithfulness. And we have to walk through this, and we have to walk through it with that faith and that confidence. Because that's how the then happens. Now is now, then is then. We can't have then now. Faithfulness has another quality to it. What's that? It's called the lesson of appreciation. Mm -hmm. Until you have faithfulness, you'll never appreciate who God is. Right. What he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. Well, right. I mean, it says that in the book of Proverbs, Mm -hmm. that without wisdom, the word of God is foolishness. Mm -hmm. And. But how many fools are in the world today? All those without God. Yeah, how many people in the world today? Is it 9 billion now or 7 billion? And the vast majority? Broad road. Yep. By choice. By choice. 
So when people hear us talk about phrases like you just read, people mm -hmm. will say you're out of your mind. That's gibberish. Yep. It's gaudies. It's gaudies. It's gaudies. I'm right. glad God... It's, it's I'm, impossible for us to fully understand. I'm sure glad that God is easy. Mm -hmm. Except that he does require honesty. Right. He does require commitment. Well, and that's... And that's where this verse continues, this, past, this paragraph continues. He says, so whether we are home or away, right? Because right now we're away, not home. We make it our aim to please him, for all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. So... Why are we here? We're here to please God. Do you know the first time that Paul ever recognized that there was a God with glory? First time that Paul recognized that there was a God with glory. Hmm. When was it? I'm going to say Damascus Road, but I think you're going to tell me I'm wrong. It's actually the stoning of Stephen. Because he saw the, saw the glory of God on a human being. By looking at Stephen, and I think you can find that in Acts uh, 7, verse 55. Yeah, I'm... I'll pull that up. It's no coincidence that Paul was given the charge of, of holding the coats... Right. But you know what they did? They kept Paul's hands occupied so he was in charge with the stoning of Stephen. Yeah, and yeah, when Stephen dies, Paul's He knows it, something. It's it's happening. recorded. Yep. Chapter eight, verse one, and Saul approved of their killing him. He he approved of it. Mm hmm Um Now, you've got a, a note here for Philippians. What is it? Philippians one twenty one through 23. Okay. Philippians one twenty one. This is just going to piggyback right off of what we were just talking about. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. That's that mm -hmm. having confidence and hope right now where we are and dying is going home mm -hmm. um if i am to live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me and i do not know which i prefer i'm hard pressed between the two my desire is to depart and be with christ for that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you that's doing the work of god i mean that's that's what he was just that's ministry He's writing the same thing he, we just read in 2 Corinthians, but he's writing it a little bit differently. Um, I think he's, he has grown. He has aged a little bit and become a little bit more tenderhearted. And writing to a different character church. Well, he's writing to a very different church. That's very true. Um, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. 
So we don't even... We don't even um, have really a choice to live or to die. Our choice is just to live and to, to do it for God. To live eternally. Yes. Yep. And guess what? Christ Jesus came to this earth knowing the difficulties that man faced. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that he did that as an example for us to give us courage to be able to face the same world that he did. Right. Yeah, if what hope would we have if God couldn't do it? If God couldn't face it, what hope do we have? No that's, a, that's a that's an interesting perspective on it. You know, when I was um, and I was in seminary, one of the challenges, one of the questions was, why do all of these people who originated from Adam and Eve believe in all these different gods? Don't they know they can't be real? And that was the question. Don't they know they can't be real? In the, answer, right. in the answer from the person who was actually doing the teaching, mm -hmm. he says, oh, you don't think they're real, huh? Well, no, we know that they're false gods. That doesn't mean that they're not real. Oh, if they're false, they can't be real. Thinking, he says, do you know where these gods originate from? Who would think of something like that? He says, I'll tell you what. He mm -hmm. says, he says, someday, he says, if you get the chance to be a missionary in a place that is godless, mm -hmm. you will find out that there are spirits there. Yes. And he says, in these spirits, he says, they take on different forms. Oh, yeah, they do. And he says, and you know what the people do? He says, the people out of fear, they worship these forms. Mm -hmm. And therefore, images of their God, of this form, are made. And they worship him. He says... Those are very real spirits that have yeah, very real power that those people have really experienced. So the question is, well, why wouldn't they just accept Jesus over these other gods? And you know what his answer was? What's that? They're waiting to see Jesus. Hmm. He says they're waiting to see Jesus. He says they want to see Jesus. But they know that they can't make the gods that they do know angry. Right. Which is where the Great Commission comes into play. Mm -hmm. Because we have to then bring Jesus in to them. Because Did if, you? If, we, if we bring Jesus into them, you know, remember when Christ during his ministry, sends the disciples out, and then he sends out the 72, and he sends them out to do all of the things that he has done. That's There is somebody that has been charged with going to that place and bringing Jesus there and doing spiritual battle. Did you come to Jesus, or did Jesus come to you? 
Yeah, that's really hard to answer. My I, answer I mean, is, I, I was looking for him. I needed him. I wasn't looking for him, and I didn't even want to talk about him or think about him. Right. But Jesus came to me. Right. And then I followed him. Right. But that's, you know, the people that you're talking about, though, these, these cultures where there mm-hmm. is no, where God doesn't basically exist. He's not known. Um, he still exists. He's just not known. But there's demons there. Mm-hmm. Those are the spirits that they're dealing with. They're dealing with demons. And it takes Jesus coming in to get rid of them. And in some cases, very rare, but in some cases, Jesus will just show up. In some cases. In some cases. In the majority of those cases, that's where we as people have to do, and this is what Paul is saying, right? My desire is to to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better for me, but I must remain in the flesh because that's more necessary for you. That's why God has us here. He has us here to go into those places. There is somebody either previously living or currently living or soon to be living who is called to go into that place and bring Jesus into that place and do that spiritual battle. And what's that person called? That person is called a missionary. He's also called a witness. Yep. Because he's witnessing what Jesus has done in his life. And the reality is, is is without a witness, Yep. all you have is a philosophy. Isn't that the truth? With the witness, it's called a testimony. That's exactly right. And a testimony is what? A living truth. Yes, it is. Versus a hypothetical truth. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Poor old Pilate, he didn't recognize the truth, the truth who was standing in front of him. His wife did. Yes, his wife did. And she cautioned. Yep. But it wasn't politically expedient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, as important as what she had to say was, it wasn't urgent in that moment. And Pilate sacrificed the important for the urgent. Well, Pilate knew that he was going to be facing a riot. He did. If he didn't give. So he gave. Right. Which was all part of God's plan anyway. So. It had to fall on somebody. (laughs) (laughs) It did. It did. So I'm going to ask this question because it's our next point and. I think time-wise, we have to hit go hit that last point. Um, Paul is or Paul is writing about being with Christ as being home. How do you enter your home? Through a door. What's your attitude about going home? It's where I expect to be. It's where, I, it's where I end my day. Do you ever pause at the door? Only, Do you, if, I, only if I can't find my keys. <laughs> Do you ever wonder about whether you should or shouldn't go in? I never wonder about that. 
Sometimes are you are you ever uncomfortable or insecure about going into well, your home? Well, sometimes I've heard water running from the outside on some homes. Okay. And then I'm a little apprehensive to open that door. Uh. <laughs> but the But you you don't go in you don't walk into your door at home timidly. No. No, cuz I belong there. Right. Right. So how should we be entering the throne room of God? Boldly, because we belong there. Exactly. Right. With confidence. Yep. Okay. With a spring to our step. Absolutely. And that's Hebrews 4.16, which is your mm-hmm. our next verse. It says, Let us therefore approach the throne of God with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What's the word boldness mean? We tend to, as a culture, we tend to equate boldness with arrogance, but that's wrong. Um, Boldness is different in that I can boldly, I, I can boldly do that what I'm supposed to do. If I'm not supposed to be doing it, I think that's when it really turns into arrogance. I walk into my home boldly. There's really not much to it. I turn the knob and I push the door. Great faith. Yep. That's another word for boldness is you approach God with great faith. Right. Because he is a great God that deserves Mm -hmm. great faith. I walk into my house confidently with my head held high. It's not boisterous. It's not loud. There's no bravado that goes with it. That's not necessarily bold. I walk into my house like I belong there. I walk in like I own the place. I set my stuff down. I take my shoes off, hang my coat up. That is the kind of boldness that we enter the throne room of Christ. We don't go in timid. You don't go in looking at your shoelaces or counting your toes or the tiles on the floor or whatever has your head downcast. We belong there. And what's the thing you're going to see first? What's going to catch your attention? What should be catching my attention first is the glory of God sitting on his throne. The lights are on. Yep. What kind of material the floor is is not going to be the first thing I notice. That's only reflective material. (laughs) Fair point. But I'm going to go back to what I was saying before about papers being graded and kind of how we get into that mindset. Go to God. Step to the throne room confidently and proudly hand in that paper that would be graded a D because God's going to give you an A. He's going to, he is, he is going to grade your heart and then he's going to answer your prayer. He's going to look at the name at the bottom of the page and he's going to see Jesus. Right. Okay. And Jesus says it all. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. He's going to look at Jesus and go, you tutor this kid? You help him write his paper? 
He's going to say, yes, I did. And he, he's going to give it an A. That's it. <laughs> Actually, in heaven, you get a J. Yeah. <laughs> well, fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Anything else that... Uh, anything else that we want to touch on? Well, one of my heartfelt concerns, and I, I also believe it's yours, mm-hmm. is, is that we wouldn't be talking about prayer if we didn't believe that it was needed and important. Oh, absolutely. And um, my goal for this next year is, um, is to help the deacon who's in res- responsible for prayer to be able to develop a prayer team, mm-hmm. prayer partners. We have a church, and we have people who walk in these doors, and it may be the only time they ever walk in these doors. Right. But they may be seeking but not knowing where to go. We need to be able to provide the people in the place for them to go. Okay. As well as for our own who come in every week. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know of any family or any person who can go through life without a time where they need prayer. Right. And I don't believe that the church can be blessed and can move forward without prayer. And being the part of what I'm charged with, with this discipleship, one of the greatest discipleship attributes is to teach people to pray. Mm -hmm. The information is secondary to being able to have a relationship with God that is a live, living, active relationship. You know, there's a lot of books on all the shelves, and they all say something, but they'll never say what God has to say himself. Right. Absolutely. And that's where I want to go in the future. Okay. That sounds like a great path. And uh, for the people listening, if you want to be a part of that on either side, praying for or being prayed for, Um, You can, you have an invitation right now to approach myself, Steve, or Pastor Rob on Sunday morning, any any of the the elders, any of the deacons on Sunday morning. Any of the small life group leaders. Yep. Okay. We have plenty of people who can pray. Yep. But you could ask. And as like the angel says, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Ask. Do not be afraid. Just ask. Doesn't the Bible say, if you ask, I, I shall listen? Yep. Yep. So the thing is, is that for him to listen, you got to say something. Right. Right. Uh, nobody answers the phone that's not ringing. That's right. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thank you very much for coming in, Steve. Uh, My was, pleasure. I'm glad we were able to get together. Ah, uh, it's great to get back on it. I love doing it, and uh, hopefully... People enjoy listening to it. Well, you know what? It's good for each of us. It is. Because what it does is it uh, brings us up to um, brings us up to the level that we're supposed to be thinking. Iron sharpens iron. Otherwise, otherwise we stay in the dirt. <laughs> <laughs>